Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you use the area code in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always love hearing from folks all around the town, all around the country. Even all around the world. There you go. With the right code. <laughs> there you go. Just give us a call, 291-6901. Couldn't be any easier now. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in during the show, or maybe you just don't want to call in. Some people just don't understand. want to be on radio. I understand. I understand. <laughs> yeah. You can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. That will get you to our website, and there is a contact bar on each and every page. Just Click the button and fill out the form with the pertinent information on the vehicle you're interested in and the problem you're having with it, and just send it on in. There you go. And I always ask for those within 24 hours, sometimes a lot faster, just depending on how many times I get a chance to get to the computer. Time of day. Time of day. Day yeah. of the week. <laughs> yeah, well, Monday through Wednesday when I'm at the shop, I'm generally sitting at a computer, and I try to click over onto my email every so often. Right. Maybe every hour or so I may check that, but... On weekends, not as much, but... Still yeah, get them checked. Yeah, I get them checked. Like I said, within 24 hours for certain, and generally a little faster than that. Just and minutes. should you happen not to get a reply back mm -hmm. in 24 hours, check your return address, because if we get a wrong address, yep. it just clicks back and we're done. There's, there's no it. hunting it well, out if you there. happen to put a wrong character in your email when you type it in, and I can't reply directly to that, I have to go back to whatever address you put in. So it's just going to pop right back, and then that's the end of it. And another thing, check your spam folder because some servers are designed, when they see something coming from a commercial server, they're suspect of it anyway. Right. And because our server sends out quite a bit of email, a lot yeah. of other email clients are going to see that. They can say, well, there's a lot of mail coming out here. He may be a spammer. So they are likely to try to block some of those things. So sometimes it gets put in your spam folder. So always check that as well if you uh -huh. haven't got an answer. Like I said, if you hadn't got an answer from me within 24 hours, there's a reason. Right. It's not that I'm ignoring you just didn't send it to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of the email that we get quite a bit and i thought we maybe talk just a bit about it here this morning okay and that's about additives that folks add to cars for different reasons and that could be anything from fuel injection cleaner to oil additives to stop leaks uh -huh. and so on and you know, there's no manufacturer that I'm aware of of motor vehicles that recommends any kind of additive. In fact, most of them have a service bulletin out now to all that they do not want anything put added to any of their products. Right. And the gasoline you buy is going to have everything in it that it should have if you're buying a decent grade of gasoline. Correct. Now, if you're buying a private label, off-brand type gasoline, particularly if you're buying it from a low-volume type station, you can get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Because some of those will have maybe the federally mandated minimum amount of detergents and dispersants and the things that the majors put into their fuel to make it more efficient. And you can get into trouble there, but the answer there is not to add an additive to it. No, it's to change stations. Yeah, just Find to, you to a high... buy a decent grade of fuel. Right. And if you add the cost of the additive to the price of the fuel, it would be cheaper to do it that way anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's cheaper to go ahead and buy a better grade of fuel. And all that being said, all fuel has detergent. Right. And if you're buying a name brand fuel, it's got plenty of detergent. 
So the idea that you have to add a anymore, yeah, cleaner to your fuel isn't just something that you don't do. Now, on the off chance that maybe some type of contaminant got in your fuel and the shop says, yeah, we need to clean this for this particular reason, that's sort of, I guess, the exception that makes the rule. But that's not something you do on a regular basis. You know, fuel injection clear is not a maintenance item. No, it's not. And I see all the time these parts stores, oh, I have a can of injector clear. It's going to go. No, it's not. In fact, it's going to do damage. It can very well because all fuel has ethanol in it. Ethanol is a pretty powerful cleaner among all its bad traits. It is a good cleaner because it's alcohol. In fact, if you look at most of your injection cleaner, you'll see ethanol on the list of ingredients. Pretty high up on the top of the Yeah, it may be primarily ethanol or methanol or one of the alcohol-based things. So when you're adding more injection cleaner to your tank, basically you're increasing the ethanol in your fuel, Mm -hmm. and you already got plenty, maybe more than you should in some cases, because there are stations now... Course, they've had the E85 out for a while. Yeah, I hadn't seen much of that lately. Yeah, it's kind of going away because the price of fuel is so low, it's just not viable, financially viable, if it ever was. It's even less so now because you're losing so much mileage with it. But I have seen some stations running up to 15% without saying a whole lot about it. Yeah, you got to look on the pump itself. There's a label there that says how much ethanol mm-hmm. is in the tank, and is in the fuel. Start getting over 10%. Most vehicles today, most current vehicles, right? I say current, maybe 1996 on up, can deal with 10% ethanol fairly easily because they have nylon fuel tanks, nylon lines. They're just designed to operate on 10% ethanol because the manufacturers have enough time to prepare for this. However, mm-hmm. if you take 10% ethanol, put it in your tank, and then dump a can, or worse, two tans of fuel injection. Right. Cleaner, Just because one's good, two's not better. Yeah, that's right. And that's the point, is that because something is good, detergent is a good thing in fuel. But that doesn't mean more is better. Right. The right amount is already in there. And that is true of just about everything. You know, when you look at, like, engine oil, it's got certain additives in it. And these additives whether it's a detergent or a dispersant or a anti-foaming uh, agent. Foaming agent or, I mean, there, there's just hundreds of, I say hundreds, dozens of chemicals that they add to oil to make it better. Correct. But because some is good does not mean more is better. Right. That's why there's a certain amount of each one. That's right. And you have engineers who sit there and they very, very carefully concoct the exact right mixture for the oil and for the purpose that they're going to use it for. Now, if you go in and dump an additive in there, that's going to disturb that mixture. Correct. It may also negatively interact with something that's already in the oil and could destroy the capability of the oil. And that's the reason you don't want to start mixing things up because almost everything used in an automobile today is a pretty complex mixture of precise stuff. Precise mixture. Very, very yeah, precise. For certain application. The same thing would hold with, like, coolant which some people call antifreeze right more technical name is coolant it's got everything that it needs in there if you use the proper application for the car Mm -hmm. now it's not a one size fits all it may the vast majority of it may be ethylene glycol that's the base chemical however the corrosion protection varies just widely and wildly from one manufacturer to another. Even between manufacturers of certain year models. That's right. Let's look at Toyota. Mm-hmm. Toyota came out with a long-life fluid, and they well, used originally it. Originally, they had the green. The green. The regular silicate phosphate-type coolant that everybody used at one time. Right. Green used to be the norm for across the board. Right. Then they came out with the OAT red. 
Now, that's an organic acid technology. It gets away from silicates. It gets away from phosphates because they attack the seals in the water pumps. Back when they had ceramic seals, that worked when they went to urethane seals, which are to... an improvement, but it takes a different type of coolant to work with that. Right. Now they've come out with a super long life, which has an extended life on it, and it's got even different chemicals in it, and none of the three are compatible one with another. Right. You can't just start mixing them. You can't decide, well, I'm going to go to we'll this one. this one, one or go, go back one. to that one, yeah. And we see that very, very, very often where you got all these urban legends floating around that some moron invented, pulled out of his uh, hat. And I remember when Dex Cool came out, I think that's kind of died down now since it's been out since 1996. It's been using Everything. literally millions and millions of cars without right. a problem. But everybody, because it was different, it was a different color, it was an HOT type coolant. Oh, no, that's, that's no good. you got to put the green stuff back in there. And, I mean, they ate up hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of water pumps. Couldn't figure out why. Couldn't Nobody, figure out yeah. why. Good friend of mine and good customer of ours who someone had told him way back that the green stuff was what you should do, and he drives GM cars, so he was swapping them all out to the green. Right. And finally, I, told, I said, do you have any idea why you keep eating up so many water pumps? What do you mean? Well, you put three water pumps on this car in 100,000 miles. Every 30,000 miles, you're eating a water pump. And he hadn't thought about it. But mm -hmm. we swapped back over, went back to the orange coolant, and we hadn't had any trouble since. You know, I've used the orange coolant in every car that I've bought since 1996, and I've had hadn't, zero problems. Hadn't had any problems at all. Yeah, I've got a 2005 Buick with 168,000 miles, been running Dex coolant since the day it was born, and, and I still yeah, got the original water pump Exactly. <laughs> so... Just looking at something and where that came from, I think, early, early on when the S10s came out, they had some defective filler caps and filler necks on them. Uh -huh. And what they were doing, they were ingesting air. When they went to the cool-down cycle, rather than just draw the coolant the back coolant from back the, reservoir. the reservoir, they were drawing air into the system, which was causing corrosion, causing the coolant to gel. And everybody saw, oh, it's the coolant doing that. No, right. it's not. It's the cap, not the coolant. <laughs> So, anyway, just kind of shows you. We're going to talk a lot more about that and everything else. Bob, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. It winds from Chicago to L.A. More than 2,000 miles all the way. Like you said, you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on y the time. You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, let me get Agco's number online and I'll uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we're going to phone lines with Bob. Good morning, Bob. 
Morning, Lewis and yes. uh, I suppose Brian. I haven't tuned in yet, but I wanted to call in. This is telling you about the 8th Annual Baton Rouge Spring Car Show put on by the Baton Rouge chapter of the Antique Auto Club of America. Okay. We have seven chapters in Louisiana of the Antique Car Club, but this show is an open show, and it's open for all vehicles, cars, trucks, motorcycles. We'll have sports cars. We usually get big variety, sports cars, muscle cars, hot rods, street rods, custom cars, originals. And the spectators are free. It's $25 to enter a vehicle. It's mm-hmm. also in conjunction with the 15th Annual Baton Rouge Garden Show, Spring Garden Show, Arts and Crafts Fair, and the 11th Annual Iwanis National Sanctioned Louisiana State Chili Cook-Off. That's wow. my favorite part. <laughs> and, uh, we'll I know have, you like uh, spicy food. Oh, yes. <laughs> and we'll have Homer T. as our DJ. All right. Putting out the oldies. And mm-hmm. we also have some children's activities. I think they have some animals or something coming this time. And, of course, all kinds of great food. And it's going to be a registration if you're bringing a vehicle. Again, it's $25 from 9 till noon. Mm-hmm. Judging will be at noon. Awards at 2. And all models and years are welcome. It's an open show. Okay. Unique type vehicle. And exactly where is this located, Bob? It's at the John M. Parker Coliseum Highland Road LSU campus parking lot. It's right in front of the Ag Center mm-hmm. uh, where they have the rodeos and all. I guess it, that's where the horticultural show will be, and arts and crafts. All right. Very good. Sounds like a good time. Yes. We hope to have a big turnout. We usually get over 100 cars. And, the, of course, the chili cook-off uh, last year, they had 65 competitors. So you can wow. buy a ticket and sample a bunch of the chilies. I bet so. you'll do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob. Well, I appreciate you calling. All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Sam. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901. You know, Bob loves that spicy food. Yeah. In fact, he and I went to eat some Thai food the other day. Really? Thai food tends to be a little bit on the spicy side, and I get mine medium. Yeah. Because I like spicy food as well, but he gets his Thai hot. And, I mean, it's it's pretty entertaining to sit there and watch the, the, the tears coming out of his eyes and the sweat bumping. Wow. <laughs> but he eats it. <laughs> That's something. He didn't back up. I got to give him that. <laughs> Let's go back to the phone lines. Jim, good morning, Jim. Yeah, good morning, guys. I think I may have gotten some bad rotors, I guess, because when I stop kind of quick, it goes, oh, 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 it kind of okay. It's not like it used to be. Mm-hmm. I only got like three or 4,000 miles on them, mm-hmm. and I, you know, put them on myself. They didn't cost me like $70, $80 for both of them, I guess. Yeah, you got to watch, Jim, depending on what type of brake pad you use. Do you have a shake when you brake, or does the steering wheel wobble back and forth? No, I don't have anything don't like have that. that just, just noise? Like, I tell you, that might. No, no noise. No noise, or a little squeaky just every now and then. Yeah, but like but, a groan or grind? No, it just a eat. No, eat. I, I talked about what you said originally with the rotors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, more likely that's going to be pad problem than a rotor problem. That, I changed the pads out, too. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. probably where you created the problem. If you, do you an aftermarket-type pad? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. See, that aftermarket pads are notorious for that it almost sounds like metal on metal when you hit the brake. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, what kind of vehicle is it, Jim? O2 Chevy Silverado. Yeah. You're going to have to go take those off, go back to Chevrolet, and get the original ceramic pads that go on that vehicle if you want to stop that noise. I mean, if not, you can drive them like you are listening to noise, but eventually it's probably going to warp the rotors and eat well, the rotors up. Well, not warp. It, you know, it goes, it doesn't make a noise most of the time, just a little squeak occasionally, mm-hmm. but it just... I can feel the truck going, oh, oh, oh. It's not stopping smooth. It's yeah. kind of jerk stop. Like they're warped already. Well, if the steering wheel is not shaking, 
and yeah, it's more of a pulsation or a jerking stop. That is more yeah. likely going to be a rear rotor causing that. Because a front rotor, the first thing you can know is steering wheel is going to start wobbling back and forth because the steering is all fluid. It can move. And when you hit the brakes, you'll feel that wheel wah, 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 in your hand. If you feel more oh. like the whole vehicle pulsing to a stop, that's yeah. more likely going to be a rear rotor with a problem. Oh, yeah, I ain't never changed those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I tell you, that, maybe 99% of the time, when we have a pulsation, like you're talking about, where it kind of kind of sur- lunges, surges, surges or lunges to a stop, right? That's going to be yeah. a rear rotor, not a front, because the front will almost always shake the vehicle. It'll shake the steering wheel. Now, something about that truck; those rear calipers are notorious for hanging up after mm-hmm. a brake service. So, do yourself a favor yeah. if you go back there, just go ahead and change the calipers. Yeah, those calipers are fairly cheap. They are, and they got plastic pistons in them. What happens? That piston; those pads last a long, long time. Generally, hundred thousand plus miles. And what happens, that piston's been coming out slowly for 100,000 miles. When you push that plastic piston back in to put the new pads on, they'll stick, and they'll just, I mean, first thing you know, the rear wheels will be smoking on it. We generally go ahead and just replace the calipers every time we do pads if it's got 100,000-plus miles. And like I said, those calipers are surprisingly inexpensive. It saves you money to go ahead and replace the calipers with it. And you got to bleed the brake system and all. You do. You do. And are the rotors hard to change? No, no, just like the front. Just like the, the front. Oh, okay. The biggest thing about the back is there's two 18-millimeter headed bolts that hold the caliper bracket to the, the rear end. They have Loctite yeah. on them, and it takes about a two-foot pull handle and an 18-millimeter socket to get them loose. Yeah, I, got, I got one. I've, mm-hmm. I changed the pads on them before. And it's I'm, not much harder than changing the pad. I mean, the rotor just kind of slips on just like it does on the front. Slips over oh, the axle. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All righty. Also, I can't find a radiator cap on the radiator. It's just a No, it's, 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 that's called a surge tank system. It doesn't have one on the radiator. It's on the uh, reservoir. So it's not like the old systems where you had a vacuum-operated reservoir. It's a surge-type system. The water flows through there all the time. The reservoir is pressurized, and that's where the cap's at. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there is no cap on that. No, radiator. not on the radiator. No. Well, good. I thought they forgot to put it on. No, no. It, it flows constantly. It flows through the surge tank. And it flows through the radiator. So whatever you see in that tank is the same as what's in the radiator because it's constantly oh, flowing. Okay. Right. And what it does the is The advantage it, to that pushes the air out of the system. Right. Okay. All right, guys. Well, All right. Thank you much. All right, Jim. Thanks, uh, man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. 291-6901. Oh, one. There, there you, you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the number at the shop is 291-6900. Correct. And, of course, I give that out all day long. So, so it's uh, just a, a mind thing. you got to remember where you're at. That's it. That's it. We Which just number to give out? I thought we'd just kick it up a number and put it on the radio <laughs> show, too. That'll make it easy for everybody. There you go. We were talking just a little bit before we got all the calls about additives and things you might tend to put into your car one way or another one of the big big things we see is stop leaks oh man all sorts it it, is it's in it just about every product that is labeled to put into something a a lot of the stuff that you buy in a parts store will have stop leak in it whether it says it on the label or not turn it over and look at the ingredients and that is just bad bad news in most cases because it depending on what you're going to put it in if you put stop leak into a power steering system it's not going to necessarily stop the leak, not very long at best, and it's going to affect everything else in that system because the way stop leaks necessarily work, they do one of two or three things. Either they get hard in the system and try to block the leak, or they endeavor to swell the seals up to make the leak stop, or they crystallize in some form or another and plug the leak up. Mm-hmm. These are the ways they tend to work. 
However, let's say you've got a seal that's worn out and you put the stop leak in there. Well, this stuff attacks that seal, causes the rubber to swell up, which does temporarily stop the seal from leaking. However, what happens when it attacks that rubber, it continues to do that. Right. It doesn't just stop after the leak stops. So now the rubber in the seal gets soft and just catastrophically fails. And that's bad enough, except that every seal in the system does the same thing. Right. Generally, when folks come in with a power steering system and they've had stop leak in it, we're putting a pump, two hoses, and a rack and pinion, and possibly the, the pressure valve and all that kind of stuff, depending on what kind of system they've got, mm-hmm. because that stuff has attacked every piece of the system. So what they did is took a problem that was a, I guess, a relatively expensive problem, because nothing's really cheap anymore, no. but let's say a power steering pump costs $200, and maybe it's another 200 to put it on. They took a $400 problem, and they may have turned it into a $1,400 problem. $1,500 problem because the rack and pinion now is leaking and the hose is leaking. Right. Because this stop leak has Has attacked all the rubber in the system and swelled it up and made it inoperable now. That's right. Once it swells it, it makes it soft. It doesn't stop right there. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. It also swells up all the O-rings and all, causes them to fail. So now you've got a catastrophic failure of the entire system. So we're going to take another quick little break. Steve, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? (laughs) No, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. (laughs) Wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. (laughs) Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. We also appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Steve who's been patiently holding. Good morning, Steve. Morning, Louis. Yes, sir. Taking my call. You bet. I have a used 09 Toyota Camry. Okay. And I changed the oil, you know, five, six weeks ago. And it's been less than 3,000 miles since I changed it. Mm-hmm. And a warning light came on specifically it says maintenance required. Yes, sir. And it, it doesn't go off. It doesn't flash. So I, I checked my owner's manual. It says it comes on if the distance exceeds 5,000 miles since the last oil change. Well, it hasn't been. 5, well, see, when they changed the oil, it probably didn't reset the reminder. You have to reset that every time because it doesn't know you've changed the oil. It's a manual reset. Oh. It's not an automatic it, reset. You have to manually, as a procedure, to go in and manually reset it. And if you don't I, do that, then it's going to come up 5,000 the last time it was reset. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so the manual will tell me how to reset it? It, it does, should. It does, yes. Yeah, or just look under all change. It'll give you a procedure. And some of them are kind of involved. Some of them are pretty simple. None uh-huh. of them are hard. I mean, sometimes you yeah. just hold like the little mileage, like the little odometer, yes. reset button down, turn yeah. the key off, turn it back on, hold it. 
and that'll do it on some of them. Some of them are different. I mean, everyone has their own little procedure. When we right. change the oil at Agco, we always write the procedure down on the bottom of the work order so the customer can see that it's been done, and also so our techs don't have to go look it up every time. But there's literally hundreds of different ways to reset them, but it'll be in the oh. owner's manual. Oh, okay. Well, that's good, great news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that particular light, it scares a lot of people, but it does yeah. not ever indicate a problem. It just comes on every so many miles to remind you right. to do maintenance, which I guess is a good enough idea, but it just I find it just causes a lot more consternation than it does. It helps anything. Toyota okay. uses the maintenance required light instead of yeah. most of your manufacturers use a old reminder light, right. all change right. reminder light, which is a little more simple for to understand than mm-hmm. a maintenance light. Yeah, because yeah, people just see the light maintenance required, and, and like, oh, my uh, God, yeah. you know, what's wrong? Okay, but, so it's just a matter of resetting. matter of resetting it, yes, sir. It'll mm-hmm. be okay. in a, it'll be an owner's right. manual. Mm-hmm. Okay, great news. Good. Appreciate okay, Steve, it. thanks, All man. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. You're only part of the Automotive Hour, and we've got Matt on line. Good morning, Matt. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Sure. Two questions, and then I guess one's an opinion I'd like to hear, but the first one is I got a 2012 Chevy Tahoe. Does mm-hmm. that go into what I think you refer to as lockup? Yeah, as far as transmission, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, every mm-hmm. vehicle from probably back in the 80s goes in lockup. They've got a lockup torque converter on them, and the speed at which they lock up varies from one vehicle to another, and the conditions vary from one vehicle to another. For instance, if you accelerate heavily, it may come out of lockup. If you touch the brakes, it may come out of lockup. Some may go in at as low as maybe 25 miles an hour. Some may go in at 40 miles an hour, but they all do it. It's just at some point, once the computer decides, hey, everything, all the shifting is done, it's going to lock the clutch. And technically, the way that works, Matt, the clutch is always locked, and the computer applies fluid pressure to unlock it. So the default is the solenoid is open, fluid pressure is running in, which has it unlocked. And when the time comes, it closes the solenoid, which releases the fluid pressure, and then it locks. So that's the way they okay. work. Yeah, because I'm, I'm getting it at low speeds, like when I leave my neighborhood, essentially, right when I you know, first start driving. Could be. Yeah, um, some of them will go yeah. in maybe 15, 20 miles an hour under certain conditions. Okay, okay, excellent. And then I wanted to just get your opinion. I'm starting to hit the market for a new vehicle, and I want a pickup truck. Would you recommend a Toyota Tundra over the 1500 Chevrolet? As far as, depending on what you want to do, if you want a vehicle that's going to give you less problems, you know, it's the best vehicle you can buy, I would say the Tundra is a better vehicle. That being said, you probably need to drive a Tundra because it is a very, very big vehicle. I mean, it's bigger than it, it, it drives bigger than it looks. Yeah, they call it a half ton, but. Technically, it could be an F-250. I mean, those things are huge in the towing capacity and everything else. Some people find they're just too big and uncomfortable, so they would rather put up with a little bit more breakdowns and that sort of thing to get a more comfortable vehicle to drive. But again, I would probably maybe go... The best thing is if you can rent one or if you have a friend who has one who would let you borrow it for a couple of days and let you drive it around because it's awful hard to tell on a test drive. Yeah, But they are... A great vehicle as far as durability and lack of problems. However, they are a big vehicle. That's the only okay. complaint I've really heard out of them is people say, man, this thing is just too big. You know, it's, it was built to be a very, very, very heavy. They were trying to go head-to-head with GM, Ford, and Chrysler in a market that those guys owned. So the way they decided to do that was by going one up on them. Let's make it bigger, better, stronger, you know, and they did. But, again, there are people who probably want a slightly smaller vehicle, better riding, better driving vehicle. 
who don't want a Tacoma. You know, they want something bigger than that, yeah. but less than that. And there's nothing in between. At one time, they used to have the T100, which kind of came in in the middle, but they've dropped the T100. And now you go from a Tacoma, which is kind of too small for a lot of folks, up to the Tundra, which is kind of too big for some folks. Okay. Okay. Well, that's helpful. I will see if I can rent one of those, and I definitely appreciate the feedback. Well, great. Where are you calling from, Matt? South Carolina. Oh, okay. Wow. How's the weather out there right now? It's good. It's a little cold. It's about 60 today, so that's cold for us. Yeah, I was watching the news, and they said a lot of that's still kind of persisting out there on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for warm again. Get the water. <laughs> well, there you go. Just come down here. It was about 80 yesterday. So. Supposed to be 80 oh, today. Man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I man. appreciate it, guys. I love listening on the podcast, so thank you. Well, great. Thanks for thank calling, you. man. Bye-bye. All righty. All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one, and of course two two five will get you here from South Carolina or wherever or you want to call California, from. Washington. That, that's right, probably. Maine. Now I don't know about Alaska. Somebody from Alaska, Hawaii needs to call and let me know. I think you could probably just dial because that is the United States, right? I don't know exactly but how that works. If you have to still have the beans are not in the not in, in not the, the continental United States. Well, I, I just don't technically Alaska is still in the continental United States. I guess you could say that it's still it's on the continent of United States. From, yeah, it's kind of like Mexico. It's just across the border and yeah, across another border. Well, you got another country in between. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. We'll have to get somebody to call. Yeah, that and like Puerto Rico, which is a island. Well, it's basically a province of the United States. Right. A, they're not a state, but just barely. I mean, they're they're definitely a territory of the United States. Uh -huh. And some of the Virgin Islands and all that are territories of the United States, even though they're not technically states. Right. I know. I don't know. Puerto Rico, every time I go there, they kind of griping and grousing about that well we're paying taxes we don't get representation <laughs> so might be, a little, well, might be a, little, a little sore point there there you go <laughs> and since this is not a political show we're not gonna get into all that that's it we're done <laughs> there you go you know we were talking about stop leaks and the problems they can cause now there probably is a vehicle where it might be appropriate to use a stop leak we get cars occasionally that let's say it's got a blown head gasket, it's got maybe a cracked head, and the car is just what we call nefer. Uh -huh. It's not economically feasible to repair. And the guy is going to junk the car. However, he wants to try to get a little more time out of it. Now, in that case, I mean, go ahead and dump a stop in, which you can hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, if you I tear mean, the engine up, you still got to get an engine for it. You're going to junk the car anyway. You're trying to get another few weeks out of it, maybe a few months out of it, whatever. So, like every rule, like we've said a hundred times on here, common sense has to prevail. Mm -hmm. Like every rule, there's always an exception. If the car is absolute junk, it's not worth fixing. You're just trying to get a little bit more time out of it. You're not going to sell it to somebody else. You're or not going to trade it off and burden someone else with your problems. You don't care if it tears other things up. Okay, well, that's probably a candidate to, to try put, it. Yeah. Because it, it's probably not going to work, but it might. If it does, it might defray your time there you frame go. just a little bit, which may be all you need. So there's always some kind of a exception right. where something may. The thing is, you can't do that, and, and then, then it kind of starts doing a little better. So you say, "Well, I'm going to keep it now," yeah. and then, <laughs> wham! All of a sudden, the heater core is plugged up, the radiator is plugged up, which just adds to all your other problems oh. that you had. And you can't decide, okay, I'm going to change my mind now and go back the other way. Yeah, it's too late because <laughs> now you've created a much bigger problem. And you know the the one instance where that is an even bigger what i consider a non-reversible decision as far as stop leak and that is the decision to put stop leak into an air conditioning system oh yeah and we're gonna talk about that in the next break but that's sort of a non-reversible type decision hey we're gonna take one more quick little break be right back with more on the automotive hour 
Hey, Mike, heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm gonna get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to ADCO for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. Got a question, comment, whatever you got. You give us a call. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction and mm. at least listen to what you got to say. That phone <laughs> number is 291-6901. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. You just give us a call, give us a shout. We'll be glad to try to help you out. That's it. There you go. We're talking just a bit. And, again, one place that I would never, ever advise putting a stop leak, and that is in an air conditioning system. Right. Now, you got to be careful because a lot of the refrigerant that you buy at parts stores has, has stop, stop leak, leak in it. In it. you got to yep. read that label very, very carefully because what you've done once you add that to your system is you've contaminated the system. You've got stop leak in it. Mm -hmm. And the way that stuff works is that it's a chemical that's floating around in the refrigerant. It gets in the oil, it gets in the refrigerant. And when it leaks out, it hardens. And there's when air hits it, it, it hardens. hardens. And, and seals that's how it supposedly stops the leak. Right. However, when you go to drain it out, it does the same thing. Once air hits it, it starts to harden up in your system. The problem is if a shop decides to go in and do some repair, let's say the thing quits working, you bring it to a shop, the first thing they're going to do is hook an identifier to your system. When it comes back contaminated, they're going to tell you, sorry. That's it. We're done. We we're can't done. go any farther. That's right. And every legitimate shop is going to do that. Because they use a recycle machine. By law, it is illegal for them to expel whatever's in that system into the atmosphere. Correct. They have to recycle it. Recycle machines, cheap ones are twenty five dollars to $3,000. Good ones are $10,000. If they suck this stop leak into their recycle machine, they just wiped it out. Right. So unless you're willing to pay them 10000 bucks to recover this stuff, they're probably not going to want to do it. On top of the repair that top of the repair you already need. got. So you're basically going to have a car at that point which is non-repairable. Correct. And people have a lot of trouble with that. And, you know, they come in and you say, I'm sorry, your system's contaminated. Well, what do you mean? I said, it's contaminated. It's got stop leaking. We can't do anything with it. Uh-huh. Well, you know, people just aren't used to it, can't, can't be fixed. <laughs> but there are things that just can't be fixed, and that's one of them because force of law is very, very, very powerful. Now, I mean, if you don't like that or you don't agree with it, well, you can call your congressman and see if you or can write get EPA to over, overturn that. Right. But the way the law is set up right now, you cannot expel this refrigerant into the atmosphere. You cannot recycle it because it's contaminated. So you've basically got a system there that you can do nothing else with. You really can't do a whole lot with it. So you want to be... Very, very, very mindful of that before you go and let your neighbor squirt a can of refrigerant into your system 
Number one, you got to know where that's being sourced from. I know we buy refrigerant strictly from DuPont, uh-huh. and we check the sourcing on it. We check what's called the MSDS, so we know what's in that thing. It has to be pure R134A or pure whatever, whatever refrigerant we're yeah, buying at the time. Type of refrigerant it is, but not most parts stores do all that. A lot of that stuff comes from offshore somewhere. I remember a while back they had some really, really bad stuff that was getting into some systems and just eating the systems up and it was explosive mm-hmm. so there were people who were injured and people maybe even killed with this stuff because right. they had put i don't know butane propane some kind of explosive some kind of propellant that yeah, other than what it, it was supposed which to should be. not be in there so again sort of like everything we've been talking about today you start mixing chemicals you can get into some really really hairy conditions yes, and situations and the air conditioning system is definitely not a place where you want to learn that. No, no, because that it's already an expensive repair when it needs to be done. Well, because of the nature of an AC system, it's a sealed system, and when one part goes bad, it pretty much flows through all the parts. And wipes so everything. You, you're generally going to have a catastrophic failure every time you have a failure. And if you put something foreign in there, you just make the situation way, a lot way, worse. way worse. So let's go back to our phone lines with Jan. Good morning. This is Floyd. It's not Jan. Oh, oh I'm sorry. We've got the wrong name on our <laughs> monitor here. Go ahead, Floyd. Okay. I've got an 08 Kia Sorento, mm-hmm. and it started getting a, when you hit 15 miles an hour going up and down, it's got a shutter. Okay. You got any idea what that might be? Where does it shutter, Floyd? It, Where do you it, feel it the shutter? Like, uh, it, it feels like, you know, what a transmission would feel like if it's trying to shift and ain't shifting. Mm-hmm. Have you tried it's putting not- it in a different gear and driving it up to 15 miles an hour, like drop it down to third gear and bring it up to 15 and see if it's still there? No, I hadn't. Try that. Put it in third gear. Take it out of, out of overdrive. Move to third gear. That'll change the RPM relative to the miles, miles per, per hour. hour. And if the shutter is still at 15 miles per hour, then it's not going to be anything to do with that. It's more likely going to be something in the drive line or suspension or whatever. I would probably try that first. Now, let's say you do that and the, the shutter is still there at 15. The next thing you want to do is try getting it up above 15 miles an hour and let it coast back through the range and see if it's there. There's, it, still, it still does it if it coasts down. Okay. I've, okay, well, it's probably not going to be transmission then. Because yeah, when you, if, you, if you kick it in neutral and let it coast back down through the range and it's still there, it's very likely not going to be in the transmission. That's more right. likely going to be something in the suspension. I would, first off, try rotating the tires right. and see if it changes. There's, it may okay. not go away. It may You may feel it in the whole car instead of the front but you because know, you're moving the tire to the back. But let's say you got a tire that's got a knot in it at lower speed it may not be turning fast enough to really feel at 15 it comes in it's a harmonic above that it may drone out and just you really can't feel it. it's vibrating too fast to feel but they you have what they call harmonics that's the speed at which the thing that's producing the shake matches the speed of the transfer path and matches the speed of the responder all those speeds match and that's when you're going to feel it come through so I would try first. If it does it when you kick it in neutral and coast back down, more likely you're going to be a suspension right. problem. Yeah. Try rotating tires first and just see if that changes it. And don't expect it to go away, but if it changes, then you're probably into a tire problem. Now, if it does not change, then you're probably into something in the suspension or it could possibly be a drive axle. Possibly, but normally but, a drive yeah. axle would be worse on acceleration and better when you let off. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. I-291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And, you know, that's sort of the, I guess, the way to go about detecting any type of vibration or shake or thing like that, shutter, whatever, Uh 
is to see first off what affects it. Right. In other words, if the if it always happens at a certain speed, try shifting the transmission to a different gear because now the RPM will change relative to the speed of the vehicle. So if it's a transmission problem, it's probably going to change when you do that at the speed. Mm-hmm. And if it's a suspension problem because all that's turning the same speed, just the motor and the transmission have changed speeds. So that's a way you would do that. Next thing is to bring it up above the speed, put it neutral, it coast back down, see if it's still there. That what, kind of eliminates the drive line. Right. What that does is that unloads the drive line. There's no stress on it. It's just floating then when you slow down. You're coasting, yeah. Coasting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of vibrations will go away, like drive line U joints, uh, things like that. Universal joints, inner CV joints, which are something that will definitely cause a vibration. But normally, you're gonna when you accelerate, you'll feel it. You'll feel a wobble in the whole front end and mm-hmm. in the steering wheel when you accelerate. And when you, as soon as you let off, it goes away. Right, because you've loaded and unloaded the component. That is almost always going to be an inner CV joint mm-hmm. problem. Now, a tire is going to be turning. Regardless of what the motor's doing, regardless of what transmission's doing, when it hits a certain speed, it will turn that speed. Right. So it is constant to speed. There's an always happens at 45 miles an hour. And you can drop it into third gear. It still happens at 45 miles an hour. You can get to 60 and coast back down. It still happens at 45 miles an hour. Now you're more likely into a tire or something that's always turning that speed. Right. Be a, a wheel flange, a bent wheel. A bent wheel, tire out of balance, a tire out of round. Mm-hmm. We see that almost... Three times a week, a, a, a tire will cause that problem. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, a bent rim. And, you know, most people don't realize that if the rim's not straight, the tire's not going to roll straight. That's right. So you've got to get the, the surface rimmed correct, mm-hmm. get a round surface for the tire to run on. That's right. And then you can balance it, and a lot of times you can get that problem solved. There you go. Earlier this week, we had a gentleman came in, and he had a bad, bad brake shutter. Uh And he says, I've replaced the rotors twice and the brake shutter keeps coming back. Correct. And what Jeff found was that the flanges, in other words, the wheel bearing hub flanges were bent. And when I talked to the gentleman by, he said, well, yeah, my wife ran over something and blew out two tires. Okay. But that was two or three years ago. So is that about time the shutter started? He thought back. He said, yeah, not long after that. So what happened was that when she bent the uh, blew the, the tires out and bent the rims. She also bent the wheel flanges. Correct. Now you can bolt a perfectly straight rotor to a bent flange, but it's still going to wobble side to side. You're not going to feel it immediately because the wobble is not so much what causes the shutter. What happens is that when it starts to wobble, it wears the faces of that rotor out of parallel because it hits in two different spots opposite each other when you start to brake. Once the faces get out of parallel, that's when the severe shutter comes in. Right. And when you turn a rotor, you can take and cut those faces parallel again, but you've also made the rotor thinner now. So it's less able to deal with the heat and all the different things. So and it just keeps you, coming back again and again and again. Right. You, you were saying you could turn it on a bent flange. The flange is still bent and the hub is still running out, but you can turn the rotor straight. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, get rid of the shutter for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it covered up that way several times. Right. Now, if you've got a machine that turns rotors on the car and the flange is not bent too bad, and you index the rotor to the stud on the hub and cut it properly on the car, you can eliminate that problem. Mm-hmm. Because what you've done is you've taken the entire assembly and made it true. But it's kind of like we were talking about last week when we said when you disassemble something and put, put it, back it back together. together. Now, if you take that rotor off of that hub and put it back on a different position, now it's going to be worse than before. Sure. Because you've introduced a wobble into the rotor to counteract the wobble in the flange. As long as those two are perfectly lined up with each other, they may cancel out. 
but if you move it, it's twice as bad as it was before. Exactly. <laughs> so we've seen that before where someone will do brakes. They did not have a shutter prior to doing the brakes. Mm-hmm. And they take the rotors off to clean them or whatever they're doing. Maybe they're changing ball joints. They take a rotor off. They just put it back on like most people would do. And it was cut on the car. Right. It was indexed. And they didn't know that because whoever did it didn't mark anything. And see, Hondas, Hondas have two bolts that actually hold the rotor to the hub. Mm-hmm. And I'm not they're 100% sure why they're there. I think it's part of the manufacturing process. But they're off center, so the rotor will only go back onto the hub one way to put the bolts back in. Mm-hmm. So you kind of you kind of get spoiled there. Uh, GM does the same thing. The later model trucks mm-hmm. have a hex bolt where the bolt is bolted to the, the rotor. I'm sorry, is bolted to the hub, mm-hmm. and it has to be in a certain place for it to all work. It won't go in any of the other positions. So you know, you there, there's a point there where you you got to kind of remember what's going on if you don't have those indexes for you. Mm-hmm. And most people don't. I and know. Because most times the rotor is turned true. The hub is turned true. So when you put them together, you have a true assembly. It doesn't matter. Right. You take them off, put them back on, do whatever you want. It just doesn't make a difference. However, if you start disassembling and putting back together, it's kind of like a gentleman who had called last week. I think he had some uh, lifters. lifters. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter how you put that lifter in, whether all whole faces fall or faces back. back, so long as you got a new cam and new lifters. However, if you let that lifter wear into the cam, take it apart and put it back together 180 degrees off now that roller is hitting the other side of the cam so mm-hmm. now you do have a problem right you're going to cause a wear problem that's going to be catastrophic yeah when you repair something it requires more skill many times than assembling it new mm-hmm. i know a lot of times people will talk about the auto uh, automakers and the guys who work on the assembly line say man he must be really really smart so well I'm not saying they're not smart. However, their job's a lot easier than the repairman's job. Is oh, yeah. Because they've got all new stuff, and it goes together one way, and all they have to do is assemble it. Right. But a repairman has to think about everybody who's ever worked on his car and everything else that would have ever happened to it. So it's just a lot more difficult process to repair than it is to build new. Sure. And I see we are just about totally out of time. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, pod service, whatever it may be, and find a written review and fill it out for us. There you go. Fill out that written review, and that'll move us up in ratings so more people can get to hear us. That way we can keep doing the program. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great St. Patty's Day weekend.